Our reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. It'll be on the screens as well. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Simon. What a delight to share with you this evening. And tonight we continue our series through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you weren't here last week and didn't hear uh, the sermon that Stephen brought as he introduced the series, I do encourage you to go online and have a listen. But let's pray. Lord, thank you that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. And dying, he gave us life. And help us, Lord, by your spirit to understand your death and to enter fully into the life that you won for us. Amen. This evening we're thinking about the statement, the prayer that Jesus encouraged us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a corporate prayer because we've all sinned. And we need to make it a personal prayer because we individually and personally have sinned. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. In the last decade, a new term has been coined, that of cancel culture. And it refers to when someone is deemed to have said or done something wrong, something that has transgressed current social and cultural rules. And as a consequence, that person is shamed. They are silenced, they're censured, they're shunned. And that person becomes persona non grata, and they are cancelled literally because of their perceived transgression. First thing I want to say this evening is that Jesus never cancels anyone. He never cancels anyone for their transgression. Jesus always would rather cancel the transgression of those who come to him. If you want to understand the nature and character of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus ushers us into, it is a kingdom of a cancel culture, but it's the canceling of the wrong that we've done rather than the canceling of the wrongdoer. Everyone needs to be forgiven and everyone needs to forgive someone. Most of us carry a sense of guilt or shame at something that we've thought or said or done wrong in the past. 
And many of us carry a resentment and an anger towards others who may have wronged us at some point. I recall meeting a former gangster who had tried to amend his ways, and he asked me what I did for a living. I said, I'm a priest. There followed some colorful London language, after which he asked me this question. Can someone really be forgiven? Can someone really be forgiven? He then said, my wife thinks I need to see a priest. I said, you're talking to someone, and you really can be forgiven. But he was haunted by his past. I wonder if there are those here this evening who as soon as that reading was read, something within them sank. And they thought to themselves, I can't be forgiven. Or they thought to themselves, I can't forgive that someone. Dr. Carl Menninger was a famous psychiatrist in the 1960s. And he once said that if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out that day. They were in there troubled and tormented in mind and spirit because of a sense of guilt and shame and condemnation that haunted them and hounded them. The question is, where can we find forgiveness? Can we? And if so, where can we? Well, Jesus knows our need, and he tells us where we can meet that need. I'm going to make two simple points and then a conclusion. First, forgiveness is God's free gift for us. Forgiveness is for us. Let's just consider these terms. Forgive. It's actually an interesting Greek word, aphiemi, and it means to send away from, to depart from, and to dismiss. To be forgiven is to have distance placed between you and your sin. Distance put between you and the shame and the taint and the consequence and the judgment of the wrong that you've done. Forgive us our sins. The word translated, uh, often sins, used to be translated, and in some in our reading today, is translated as debts. In the old English, it was transgressions. And actually, it is a transgression. It is going off the track that God has laid out. We've transgressed his rules, his laws, his principles, his will, his ways, his decrees. And we've placed ourselves in a debt, as it were, to God. We've, we, we, there's been a moral failure that's incurred this debt to God. And we owe God our faithfulness and our loyalty and our love as the Lord of the universe. But our sin means that we failed to give God what is his due. Forgive us our sins. We've messed up. We've hurt others and we're in a mess. Now, forgive us our sins is a really simple prayer. It's just four simple words, five syllables, and yet these four words and five syllables put the world to right. 
They make everything right. They make us all right. They make us right with God. They make us righteous. Because when we pray these words sincerely and humbly, when we come with just these words to God, God will forgive us. And He will make us righteous. He will make us right. It's shockingly simple. God is shockingly accessible. No ceremony, no religious rigmarole, no long-winded litany, no self-flagellation, no great sacrifices, no balancing scales with good deeds, no need to go and slay dragons. We just come as we are, needy and guilty and empty-handed. We're asking him for mercy on us. And the amazing presupposition of this prayer is he listens. He is attentive. When we turn to him, we find he's already turned to us in love. And he's ready to forgive us. And note that in this statement, this prayer, there's no kind of waiting for a verdict from the judge. He doesn't say, I've got to go and consider the gravity of this. There's no sentence. There's no need for penitence. It's just wash and go. We just come to him. Five syllables, four words that put the world to right. And forgive us our sins. It's directed to God. Popular psychology says, forgive yourself. Well, maybe that's true sometimes in some therapeutic forms of counseling and therapy, but that's not our major issue. Our major issue is not that we need to forgive ourselves. Our major issue is that we need to be forgiven. By whom? By God, because against him, him only, have we sinned, says the the psalmist and done what is wrong in his sight. And God takes our sin personally as done to him, not loving him, not honoring him, and not obeying him. And you know, often when we sin, when we do wrong, when we go against God, when we go our own way, when we give in to the temptation, whatever it is, often our instinct is to hide like Adam and Eve. It's to withdraw from God and try and get ourselves right. Adam and Eve hid in the garden after they'd sinned, and they tried to make kit to cover their shame. They hid from God and tried to do it themselves and get right themselves. Complete failure. But God doesn't give up on them. God moves towards them in love. But forgive us our sins is directed to God. And maybe there's someone here this evening, you know that you've messed up lately or messed up in the past, and you come to church, but you know somehow you've kind of shut yourself off from God. You can be in a room full of singing Christians and be shut off from God. And this evening he's saying, come, come to the table. Bring yourself to him and ask him for his mercy. Forgive us our sins is profoundly honest. It's ownership. It's owning up. It's owning what we've done wrong. And there can be no forgiveness and no covering without this confession. We can't hide. We can't 
avoid, we can't evade these things, we can't pass the buck, we gotta take responsibility. Jesus presupposes that we're gonna say, forgive us our sins, not forgive them theirs, but me, my, and I. You, you'll have heard of that acronym DAVO, D-A-R-V-O, that when challenged with wrongdoing, there's a kind of innate psychological defense mechanism and uh, it represents deny, attack, reverse victim, and offender. Blame someone else. If you can't get away from it, you put the blame somewhere else. So often I've heard people say, it's not my fault. You know, if I hadn't have had parents like that, if I hadn't have gone to a school like that, if I hadn't have grown up in a neighborhood like that, if I hadn't have been tempted like that, it's my education, it's my environment, it's my parenting, it's my brain chemistry. I read of someone once who uh, went to jail for um, a serious violent crime. He stabbed someone, and do you know what he said? He said, my head went off and the knife went in. Not, I did it, my head, oh, it's not me, and the knife, you know, sort of positing that on the instrument and disassociating himself from it. We've got to own up. It was me. And the Lord's Prayer presupposes that. Forgive us our sins is a daily prayer. It follows on from give us our daily bread. I love the order in which the Lord lists this prayer. Daily access to God, daily need for forgiveness, but a God who cares as much about our practical needs as our spiritual ones. Bring your practical ones first. Lord, I really need food for the day. Okay. Next prayer, I really need forgiveness. Okay. It's daily. You know, God never tires of hearing this prayer. God never says, what? You again? That again? This again? In 1995, I was on a retreat and I told my bishop of some particular struggles that I had and he listened and prayed and blessed me. And then the following year on retreat, I had another half hour with the same bishop, 1996, and I told him of the same issues. And he was annoyed. I could tell he was exasperated. He said, yes, yes, you told me about that last year. I felt like saying, yeah, but your prayers didn't work, Bishop. <laughs> Jesus once spoke to me. He normally talks to me through the Bible. I know he talks to other people more than he talks to me, but on one occasion he spoke very clearly. I'd really lost, I was on holiday. I, I was just wound up in this little cottage and I lost my temper with the boys when they were young and they were fighting or whatever and I really you know verbally let rip at them and I could see my words withered them and I felt awful Tiffany I think said just go away go for a walk anyway I went upstairs and I just began to pray I said Lord I'm so sorry that I've hurt my boys I'm going to go and say sorry to them I'm so sorry and the Lord spoke very clear, clearly to me he said Simon, nothing you do surprises me. <laughs> I thought, what? I was shocked. He said, nothing you do surprises me. I know it all, and I've already paid for it. He already paid for it in full at the cross. And when we come to God and ask for forgiveness, we draw, we're not surprising him. He's never shocked. He's already paid for it. 
and he's ready to cover it. There's a great edgy singer called James Arthur. Some of you will know him. And he wrote a remarkable album back in about 2016. It was called Back From The Edge. It's actually unreligious, uh, but very spiritual. And in this album, he explores religious themes of forgiveness and redemption. And there's a very powerful song called Sermon. Like I said, never been brought up church, doesn't know church. And it's not clear whether these are his words to someone or whether they're God's words to him. Uh, I don't think it matters. It seems to me that they're prophetic. And this artist is, is, is touching something. But these, listen to these words. He says, these are my words, and this is my voice, and that is my sermon. Give me your heart, give me your pain, give me your burden. Because I take anything that you can give, forgiving everything that you did. These are my words, this is my voice, this is my sermon. And I don't know where that came from, whether it's a projection from his inner longing, or whether he is echoing what the Spirit of God is saying to him about his messed up life. But that is what Jesus says. That's what the invitation is, that we're to come to the Lord and give him our heart and give him our pain and give him our burden and give him our shame. And he can take anything and he will forgive everything we did. That's the first thing that we see in this beautiful prayer. Secondly, Freely you've received, freely give. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's a little word, but there's a lot hinging on it, that word as. You see it? As we forgive those who sin against us. Just as. In the same way as God has freely forgiven us, even as God has held no grudge, God has held no record of wrongs, wiped the slate clean, removed our sins as far as east is from west, put them to the bottom of the sea and put up a sign saying, no fishing. No, he doesn't demand a pound of flesh for, or for recompense of our debts against him. Just as God forgives us freely, we forgive others and we put no charge on it. But that as may also be conditional. Forgive us as, if, when we forgive those who sin against us. This theme is the only one in the Lord's Prayer and only one of two where Jesus makes a statement and qualifies it in a parable where Jesus underlines, revisits something to, to give a different nuance, a different understanding, a different facet so that we don't miss the point. And it seems our Lord is saying that our forgiveness hinges on whether or not we will forgive. And if we don't forgive, he can't forgive us. Forgiveness is not easy. It's easy for God, although it was costly at the cross. For us, we find it really difficult. You see, often we want justice, not mercy. Actually, often we want retribution. Unfortunately, being wronged can lead to us harboring resentment and bitterness and a desire for revenge, and that can turn septic within us. It can go 
toxic, that can lead to anger. Anger suppressed becomes depression. Anger expressed becomes aggression. There's an ethicist, a journalist in ethics and culture called Adja Romano, and uh, they wrote this, the state of modern outrage is a cycle. We wake up mad, we go to bed mad, and in between the only thing that might change is what's making us angry. The one gesture that could offer substantive change or at least provide a way forward is forgiveness. But this seems perpetually beyond our reach. What an interesting observation of culture. Angry and unwilling to forgive. Cancel culture. 22 years ago in this building, someone lost their temper with me. Uh, I didn't really give them just cause, but they did. And uh, they actually belittled me. They, they, they had an anger issue. They belittled me. Uh, they physically assaulted me. And I didn't react. I thought, I'm a good Christian. I'm, even though I'm bigger than them, I'm just going to suck it up. And at one point, I even apologized, even though it was their doing. But I know that I went away thinking, I'll get my own back one of these days. And I know that somewhere deep within a root of bitterness and resentment was there and held towards them. They probably didn't give it a second thought, probably still haven't. They're no longer part of this community at all. But I was aware that whenever their name would come up periodically, or often I would just be reminded of this incident, partly because it took place in here and I come here a lot. <laughs> so I'm often in the place where it happened and memory recall brings it back. And I would find, I'd be triggered by it. I'd have those feelings again. and My fists would clinch, I'd think, you know. I almost wish there was a prayer in the Lord's Prayer where I could, like, curse someone and get them back. Do you know what I mean? That's, I'm being honest. But the Lord has kept reminding me over the years, and it's been 20-odd years, I've got to forgive. They were in the wrong, but I've got to forgive. I've got to forgive. And I've got to walk in the opposite spirit. And instead of anger and resentment, I've got to bless them. I occasionally drive past the house and I bless them from a distance. Not hand grenades, but blessings. <laughs> blessings. In the endless saga of my dentistry, I recently had more trouble and pain. And they told me that there was an abscess at the root of a tooth. And the dentist looked at old x-rays and said, you know what, this has been here for over 20 years since you had a gold tooth. This got in, and it's been lying dormant for over 20 years. I wondered if it was at the same time. And the only way you can deal with the rot at the root is to have the antiseptic. And I think there may be people here who've got rot at the root, and the Lord this evening wants to help you to forgive as you come to the table to ask him to help you to give you the grace to release them, to hand this person, whatever they did, whatever they said, however they were, to hand them over to God, to put them in his care. Forgiving is not condoning, it's just refusing to be a victim, recognizing you're no little different than them, and taking agency and recognizing we all live by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And then finally, as I come into land, 
How do we do it? As I said, I think that as this subject comes up, as the scripture is read, some of you, the words that rise up within you are, I can't. Either I can't be forgiven or I cannot forgive them. And Jesus says, you can, if I can, and I will help you. And then the words come up within you, but you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done, or you don't understand what's been done to me. Jesus says, I do understand. And you can be forgiven, and you can forgive. And the fact is, Jesus died for our forgiveness, and in dying, Jesus showed us how to forgive. And at the cross, the loveliest life, the endured the ugliest death, and showed the greatest love, and uttered the most beautiful words when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them? Forgive who? Forgive everyone. Forgive them what? Forgive them everything. And Jesus was dying for the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven and mocked and beaten and stripped and scourged and whipped and tortured and nailed to a tree and having the devil throw everything he had at him. Yet through searing pain, Jesus prays for the very people who put him there and says, Father, forgive them. He's praying for his executioners. He's praying for his betrayers. He's praying for those who sinned around the world and into the future. And he's saying, forgive them. And three days later, Jesus rises from the dead and the women arrive at the empty tomb and an angel says, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And with this I finish, and Peter. Why Peter? Peter had, was the first to recognize who Jesus was and call him Messiah. He was the first to be called and commissioned. He was made first among equals as the head of the church. And he denies Jesus three times, not just once, three times. And yet when Jesus rises, the word is, go and tell the disciples, and Peter, even Peter, especially Peter. Peter probably disqualified himself thought there's no chance I'm in. But Jesus says, go tell them. And Peter, why? Because at the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, is a prayer that Jesus meant. And he prayed for us all. Even Peter, and even you. And as we come to communion, as we contemplate the death of our Lord Jesus, as we receive these emblems of grace, let us receive the forgiveness that he offers even us. And let us be willing to forgive even those who did whatever it was they did. Amen. Let's stand.